Hello, I'm Simon Talbot. And I'm Wendy Dean. And this is Moral Matters. Claire Eunice is a practicing physician with Sutter Medical Group in Northern California. She got her MFA while she was in medical school, and she now facilitates writing workshops and discussions of literature for her colleagues at Sutter. Now, uh, those of you who have been listening to our prior podcasts will know that um, I take a call and not infrequently get last-minute changes to my schedule, and so I wasn't able to be here with Wendy, but I think you'll find this a really interesting discussion, and uh, let's have a listen. Dr. Claire Eunice, thank you so much for joining us today on Moral Matters. So could you just tell us a little bit about what your current position is and what you do every day? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. Um, yes. Well, in my, in my day job, I'm a pediatrician in Auburn, California, and I also have the fortune of being literature and medicine champion for Sutter Medical, well, for Sutter Medical in all of Northern California. Wow, that's great. So what, is that, what does that look like as a job? <laughs> that's a great question. How do you, I mean, how do you balance the two? Well, I'm fortunate in that I'm able to um, put all of my clinical work into two very long days. So on those days, I'm really completely absorbed in clinic work, and I don't try to do anything else. Um, and then on the days I'm not in clinic, at least until my kids are out of school, my focus is generally on creating classes for my fellow clinicians in writing or literature appreciation. Um, we have a writing workshop and a book club. So I get to spend my non-clinic time using my creative brain to create programming for other clinicians. That's so cool. And, and how did you... How did you get to that? I mean, I think there's a long story behind this, and I would love to hear what that is. <laughs> um, I think I could take up your whole podcast to the whole story. That's but... <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I've always been a writer, even when I was a little kid. I think I wrote my first song in my first journal when I was like six or seven. Um, but over the years, it has always been the way I've sorted through feelings. Whenever I was sad or confused, I would write. And when I was in medical school, I was so aware of all of the changes that we go through as humans um, going through medical school, um, all of the moments of disillusionment, all the um, inspiration, but also just the growing pains of trying to become somebody that we didn't start out being, that I really felt a need to write and didn't have the time for it. Um, so I enrolled in graduate school so that I would have accountability and actually write about the process. So I guess my story starts back in medical school when I simultaneously got my medical degree and my Master of Fine Arts in Writing so that I could write about becoming a doctor. Okay. So you're going through medical school and you decide that that's not quite enough, that you need to add an MFA to that. I really didn't go into it for the degree. I went into it for the accountability mm -hmm. um, because right. I think like many of us who went through all the hoops to get to medical school, if we had an assignment, we completed it. And although I loved writing for my own interest, um, if I were really to write about 
all of the process of going through medical school, I needed deadlines. I needed to have a final project that somebody would make me do. Um, so I, I really enrolled just for that accountability. Yeah, it's definitely easy to let those deadlines slip and slip and slip. So <laughs> how, how long, like how long was your program and how, what did you, how did I do, do? that? Yeah. So, <laughs> that's just a great question. Explain the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I w- it was during third year of medical school that I decided to do this. And I was at UCSF for medical school and USF was a biking distance away from my apartment. And so I looked into applying there and went and interviewed and um, figured out that what I could do with my fourth year of medical school was actually spread it out over a year and a half. So I could graduate in December instead of June. And um, my MFA program was two academic years, so I finished the MFA six months after the MD and then went right into residency. Oh, wow. As you know, fourth year is um, a little less compressed, and because I wasn't going straight into residency, it's actually quite doable for those programs to be simultaneous during fourth year, especially when it's spread out. Yeah, that's, that's great for other folks to know that that's possible, because I, I think most people don't think that you can adjust your medical school trajectory, that it's, it's just kind of lockstep and you go through it and you come out the other end and then you go into training. Yeah. I've, I've never been a terribly linear person. I mean, overall, yes, I finish when I start, but I took time off after college also. Um, and so this just seemed like a natural place to take a little half step away before continuing on with residency. So tell me a little bit about what that year off between college and medical school was like and what it did for you going into medical school? Oh, that's a good question. So I think I've always been a little suspicious of just going with the flow and doing what's expected without questioning at least myself and knowing that that really makes sense. So as I went through college where I was where I majored in writing and literature, actually, I was not a science major, even though I knew I wanted to go to medical school. Um, The more pressure that I felt to hurry up and take the MCAT and apply to medical school, the more I kind of leaned back away from it and thought, well, what if this isn't really what I want to do? So it seemed maybe a little hedonistic, but also really wonderful to take a a little bit of time off after college and I moved to Mammoth Lakes in the Eastern Sierra and I worked as a waitress and I tried to see what it was like when you are a young person not on an academic track and just sort of got to live for a little bit. So I applied to medical school between uh, shifts at a coffee bar and (laughs) nobody really thought I would leave. But um, it was a little break and a little deceleration that I really needed to be sure that I wanted to take that next step. Yeah. And what, what was that like for you having that different perspective going into medical school? Because I think, I think a lot of us worry that if we're out for a year, that you're going to lose the ability to study. You're going to lose all the preparatory knowledge that you had coming in. But I also watched my fellow classmates in medical school who hadn't taken that linear path have a bit of a a broader perspective on what medicine was. 
So I wonder what your experience of that was. Well, I mean, on the one hand, I really probably should have worried more about that. <laughs> um, I definitely entered medical school with a little more of a Pollyanna approach than I probably should have had. And I actually didn't pass my first exam, which was incidentally a take-home exam and really shouldn't have been very difficult to pass. Uh, but it did take me a little time to get back into the mode of needing to study and take this seriously. Um, so I can't say that it was without any bumps and bruises. It questioned my commitment for sure. Um, and yet I think... Well, I think that's what really contributed to the fact that I wrote a memoir about going to medical school because I was really trying to marry these two sides of myself, this outdoor loving, free-spirited, creative side of myself that um, really didn't want to do things just because we were told to, and the other part of myself that was very passionate about medicine and about wanting to become a healer and wanting to earn the role of being a healer. So not just get through medical school, but it was important to me to do well and to be able to be the kind of doctor that everybody would want to see. Yeah. So tell me about the memoir. <laughs> Thank you for asking. It's called Balance, Pedal, Breathe, and it is finally, finally going to be published um, <laughs> at the end of next month. So I am beyond thrilled. Quite a lot, of course, went into it. And, you know, I'm in part, I'm upset with myself for not following through at the very end of my Master of Fine Arts program. And on the other hand, I think having had a couple of years to mellow and to come back to it and to workshop it again has made it all the richer and all the more meaningful um, as a complete work about that process. So what was it like to write that memoir and how did it help you put your current role and your process to get there into perspective? Writing the memoir allowed me to reflect on so many of those experiences of medical school, um, moments of inspiration as well as moments of total disillusionment. And as would happen even when I was writing just in a journal for myself, I think it really allowed me to make sense of it enough that I could be forgiving of myself for the areas in which I didn't feel like I measured up and also really touch bases with myself and make sure I really wanted to continue. So as I finished my medical degree and my Master of Fine Arts, heading into residency, I did that with confidence that my heart was absolutely still in medicine and I wanted to continue. And I think I had much more confidence as a result of having taken that time to reflect and to put those reflections into a form that other people could understand and appreciate. That's great, because I think so many of us have those questions and don't take the time to really stop and think, is this still what I want to do, or is this how I want to do it? And I think that's a question that you've, you've actually taken even further into the work that you're doing now, right? Very much. You know, this memoir lay dormant for almost two decades as I went through residency and getting married and having kids and starting practice and whatnot. And I think as we hit the pandemic, it became evident to me how very much burnout has affected many clinicians, including was starting to affect me as well. 
And that importance of reconnecting became all the more urgent. Um, and I think that's part of why I returned to the memoir. That's part of why I feel like now is a good time to publish it and to put it out there. And it did inspire me to start this literature and medicine program at my medical group, because I think other clinicians could benefit from it as well. Yeah. So tell me about that. How are you using that with your colleagues? So I teach or lead a number of classes um, for other clinicians. Uh, they, there's a wide range. So there's a book club um, that's once a month. There are writing workshops for people who are already writing and just need a group to bounce things off of. Um, and I'm more of a facilitator for those. And then I'm teaching a writing workshop for people who haven't ever had the opportunity to take a step back and craft their writing. And my favorite class that I teach, I call LIFE, which is an acronym, Literary Inspiration for Expression, in which I actually send out a short story for everyone to read ahead of time. It's a minimal time investment. And then we get together to talk about the short story. And at the end of that, I give a writing prompt. And we do just a few minutes of prompted writing and reflection at the end of class. That sounds like a great escape, but also a great way to sort of get some distance and perspective on what you're doing every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in narrative medicine, which is something I only just came across right before the pandemic, um, there's a textbook that talks about the parallels between the close reading of a story or text and the way that we pay close attention to patients and their stories. It's quite remarkable how similar those skills are. So when you read a story, you pick up on what the author tells you about someone's posture, what are they wearing, who do they have with them, what's their manner of speech. We as clinicians, when we are not too rushed to take the time to notice, um, can really benefit from this kind of close reading of other people as well. So this hones a skill that we actually use in our day-to-day -day practice, and we actually all really do have these skills. We just don't necessarily get to take the time, the luxury of time, to use them. I love that image of the physician as sort of the novelist <laughs> thinking about the story of the patient. Mm -hmm. Because when I was practicing as a, as a psychiatrist, that's what it was. Right? It, was a, it was a very long story, and every piece was a chapter. Mm -hmm. right? And I, I never read the whole book, but I, <laughs> I would get chapters. I would get meaningful chapters. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, the, it was the easiest way to, to thread together what was happening for the patient. Yes, absolutely. So when you do this for your clinician, for your, for your colleagues, really, it makes perfect sense that it would help them get some perspective or, or get some connection with their patients, maybe strengthen that connection. But what about with their colleagues? Does that, how, what does it do for the interactions together as a team or as, as an organization? That's a great question. I have to tell you that um, during the pandemic, I had a core group of people who came to most of my classes. No matter what kind of class I was putting out there, it seemed I would see the same core group showing up. And I would consider them friends, even though many of them live in a completely different geographic area and I've never seen them in person. Um, because when you share your writing, 
Um, you know, I would give these writing prompts at the end and people would only share what they wrote if they felt comfortable. Most people started to feel comfortable sharing. And once you share those unfiltered thoughts, you really feel like you understand one another. So I feel like through the pandemic, this was probably the best support group we could possibly have because these were people who, who built a level of trust who cared to learn about one another, who cared to dig into the meaning of a text or, um, or a short story, and um, cared also to do the self-reflection that came at the end. So it was a very meaningful experience, I think, for that group of people. And then as I'm continuing on, I have a whole new group of people who didn't know what I was doing before, and they've just started to take writing classes. And it's just wonderful to see this trust start to develop. We are all such an educated group of people with such a wide-ranging group of interests that um, it's hard to imagine how we wouldn't benefit from sharing our perspectives with one another and learn something in the process. I think in day-to-day medicine, we rarely have the chance to learn what one another is into on the side, what people do with their spare time. So in many ways in these classes, I'm getting to know my fellow clinicians better than I know the clinicians I share an office with, for example, because we're giving each other the gift of our time when we get together for these classes. Yeah, that's great. And, and I was thinking, too, that the two other things that you do are you really, when you share that writing, you're pretty vulnerable, right? And so part of that trust is based on mutual vulnerability. Absolutely. Which... Medical school does not prepare us well for, right? (laughs) I mean, it teaches us really well how to shut everything down, how to lock down our feelings, and how to, you know, go from one room to the next without without skipping a beat. And so having that ability to sort of take a step back, take the breath, and think, what is this doing to me as a human being? to be doing this work every day is that's really um, a gift. And I think it's easier because we're doing something that nobody expects to be good at. So nobody in medicine expects or expects of themselves a perfect answer to questions about literature. Right. But many of us who went into medicine for the right for the right reasons, who went into medicine looking for meaning and caring about people and caring about experiences um, are really hurting right now. And this gives an opportunity to really explore experiences with other people who have a similar interest. And there's something very healing about that when we don't also feel pressure to do it quickly on a time clock and do it with 30 30 stories or 30 people in a day. Um, This really is a little bit of reconnection with that meaning behind people's experiences. Yeah. I just think there's great power in finding out that there are other people in medicine who share that interest in going deeper. Yeah. And there's just so much power in, as you pointed out, being able to be vulnerable with one another, being able to be beginners in something together and also find out that, you know way more than you thought you did. Yeah, and that being perfect 
isn't always everything, right? Because a lot of writing is being imperfect and that's okay. Well, and the best stories that we talk about are the ones that are ambiguous. There is no right answer. And as frustrating as that can be in medicine, it's actually wonderful in these classes because nobody is more right than the next person. And it's just a fun puzzle to try to figure out together. Yeah. So what do you want other physicians to know about this process that you went through of carving out your own niche? Right. This was this was not probably the way you expected to go into medicine. It wasn't how you started. But eventually you ended up in this place where you have two long days and then you have three days of this other outlet. Well, I definitely didn't go into it saying, "Okay, where can I find a niche? Um, It it was kind of a, a little bit of a backwards process in a way because I got the degree because I wanted to write the book and then I wrote the book and didn't publish it and everything was put on hold for so long. But I think most of us get to a point in our practices where we feel enough mastery that we start to look around and say, okay, what's next, right? Where's the next challenge or where do I grow from here? We all have this inner desire and drive to grow. And You know, I tried a couple of things on for size. I thought about going back to fellowship. I thought about leadership, and none of those really fit. Um, And then I was introduced to narrative medicine at a conference, and it was such a huge light bulb for me because that's exactly what I I sort of felt like I'd invented narrative medicine and didn't tell anybody about it. And here, someone else (laughs) had invented it. It really existed, right? Somebody put a name to that thing you were doing all along. They did, right? (laughs) Isn't that so cool? (laughs) But the use of literature and stories to bring people's voices out, um, to invite introspection among healers at a time that we are all hurting so much, just seemed to me like exactly what I needed to do what I had already started to do and just hadn't figured out how to continue doing. Um, And there's only one, really one narrative medicine educational program. um, And it's across the country from me and a little bit expensive. This was pre-pandemic, so travel would have been part of the necessity. Um, And then I was talking with someone who I considered a mentor, and he pointed out to me that I have a Master of Fine Arts in Literature, and I probably didn't need another degree in order to do what I really wanted to do. So that was kind of a little aha. Um, And then I was fortunate to speak with Suzanne Coven, who's been... um, who has a literature and medicine program that's a little bit different at Mass General that she's been running for years. And, And she gave me just the nudge to go ahead and do something. Just go ahead and start. There's nothing more powerful than being given permission to create something. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is look to where your strengths are, what you already have sort of in your toolbox, Mm -hmm. and then take the opportunities where they're given or make them. Absolutely. This, this is a passion for me. And when I was looking around for what else to do, I had areas of interest, but I wasn't passionate about them. Um, and when I was doing that, I was working half time also, although it was spread out over more days of the week. 
And I really couldn't imagine working more than half time. And I'm definitely working way more than half time right now, but I don't mind it a bit because it's what I am so excited to be doing, especially at this point in healthcare. Yeah. So for those folks who are in your classes, no matter which one they are, have you kind of noticed any patterns in their willingness to stay working, you know, more full time? Does it help them stay in the game? Does it help them see other paths? The beauty of these classes is that we don't talk about that. That's great. You know, we really don't. We don't talk about work very much at all. It's we we come from the perspective of clinicians in today's version of healthcare, right? So we have a shared understanding that we're starting with and we can relate on many levels about types of patient encounters, frustrations that we may have during the day, but we really don't spend time talking about work. <laughs> that's great. And I think that's part of the beauty of it is that this is really is meant to be an escape. It's meant to be an opportunity to connect with your creative side and let that be the background that we're drawing from, but not the explicit point of our program. That's super. Well, I think this is a great place to stop. And I really appreciate you coming and sharing this with our audience. I'm so glad that you stayed connected to who you are and what your passion is, and that you found it at the right time again. So thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy. I'm, I'm truly grateful that um, the pandemic created an opportunity to connect with people over a wider range than I might have found otherwise. And that's, that's one of the, maybe the few silver linings, but a little silver lining that we can find is that there are a lot of us out there who need this creative inspiration. And I'm, I'm grateful to get to be part of it. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. So Wendy, this is somebody who has completed her MFA during medical school, and what I love about this is that's such a classic, typical physician thing to do, someone who just keeps adding things on when, <laughs> when their plate's already full. Right. <laughs> and I, I love the idea that she chose an MFA in order to give herself a task or a deadline to complete, rather than just saying, I'm going to do writing in my, in my spare time. She actually found a way to formalize that, and I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I never would have thought of that. Like, that's sort of a brilliant move. Mm -hmm. And yet I also probably wouldn't even have been able to conceive of doing a second degree at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it, this brings about an interesting concept when it comes to medical school and medical training, which is that you can do other things and you can be a broader person. And honestly, I, I think we're better off for doing other things. And I think it's just great for our profession to have people that have that breadth of experience and that diversity in their training and experience. So really a kudos to, to Claire. Yeah. And I loved what she said when she talked about how it helped her to be an observer of her patients. And so to get some of that distance on what can be sometimes a very intense interaction mm -hmm. or an intense experience, but it allowed her to have a little bit of distance while still remaining really connected mm -hmm. in the moment, because it was all about what the patient's story was. What was this patient saying to me and how did I make sense of it? Right. I mean, she talked about the idea that close reading and intricate observation as a physician are kind of 
parallel tasks. You know, they allow us to cross-pollinate our skills of being a physician with our skills of being a, an author or, or somebody who enjoys reading. Yeah. But it also has this ability to help you step back mm -hmm. and to see a big picture and to think about things either over time or in patterns so that you can think about what you're doing in a slightly different way, mm -hmm. more from a big picture. Yeah. You know, Claire also spoke about forgiving herself in areas where she didn't feel she measured up. And that is a really common theme that comes up a lot with physicians and moral injury. And I think that's a really important theme when it comes to thinking about moral injury for physicians, this idea of forgiving yourself and recognizing that you can't be all things to all people all the time. Yeah, for sure. That sense of you do the best with what you have when you have it. Right, right. I guess the other thing that really struck me as I was listening to this is how much she clarified how many people are really hurting in medicine. And of course, right now, after two years of a pandemic, I think that's clearly true. And how literature can be a way to find meaning in those experiences. And to me, that was just so powerful and important to think about. Yeah, it was such a great conversation with her. And I think the folks at Sutter are really lucky to have her there. Yeah. As always, thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. We really appreciate you listening and being part of this, and we are always happy to hear from you. I enjoy getting feedback from people, and occasionally I'll get feedback from people I never knew were listening to this, so please keep giving us feedback. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. There's a link in the show notes where you can pre-order Claire's book, as well as a link for CME. So when you go to the show notes, you'll see a link for CMEFI. And all you have to do is click on the link and then provide us with a couple of quick reflections that you can let us see, or you don't have to let us see. But either way, they're anonymized. And once you've done that, you earn an hour of free CME. To learn more about our nonprofit moral injury of healthcare, you can go to our website at fixmoralinjury.org. If you'd like to support future episodes of the podcast or any of the work we do, you can always make a donation while you're there. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram links are in the show notes too. So if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us there. And you can help us to spread the word by sharing episodes with friends and colleagues and subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. It really helps new listeners find us more easily. Thank you for listening. And stay well. Stay well.